previous relationships, I realized I was needy of my partner. I needed them to be there for me. Now I realize that I have to be needy of myself and be okay with myself, even if the relationship doesn't work out, doesn't pan out. I'm going to be okay. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 249. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Pan, who lives in Germany and is solo poly. We cover a wide range of topics today, and it's really an amazing conversation. Yeah, this is a super fun conversation, and we're grateful to, to Pan for reaching out. Actually, he was one of the few people to have ever sent us a voicemail. Yes. So, uh, hint, hint, you can always send us a voicemail, <laughs> but you might wind up on the show, so be careful with that. Uh, to send us a voicemail while we're talking about that, head over to our website and click on the Contact Us tab. You'll see a link there. It's pretty easy to figure out. Yes. So anyway, back to Pan. Super awesome conversation. We talk about so many different things, but this conversation is very like consent focused and talking about like codependencies and moving away from that and feeling confident in yourself. And it's just a really great conversation. So thank you, Pan, for coming on and sharing. We appreciate it. Before we jump into the interview, we do. Oh, oh, we have one more thing that we have to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. (laughs) So this one, we're just trying to avoid a lawsuit uh, (laughs) vis-a-vis like the McDonald's, somebody spills hot coffee on their lap and sues McDonald's. We don't want any of that. So there's a point pretty early on in this conversation where Pan is talking about, let's call it a technique for pleasing people, (laughs) and it involves drinking hot liquid. Our safety disclaimer is start with warm liquid and work your way up until you find your limit. You don't need to boil the water, pour it in your mouth, and then do the thing with it because you're going to have a bad day. That's all. That's true. That's my only disclaimer. I just don't want to get sued. That's true. All right. Carry on, Emma. We don't want to get sued. That's good to know. (laughs) We are are on the same page about not getting sued. So thank you for the tip technique, Pan, and you're welcome for the safety disclaimer. Before we jump into the interview. For real this time. We do have a few announcements. If you're out there looking for like-minded people, we'd really encourage you to check out our Patreon community. A huge thank you to everyone out there that is already a Patreon member. It is growing daily these days, which is pretty amazing. And we'd love to have you join us and check it out. We have monthly Q&As. We have men's and women's group calls. We have an ongoing Mimi chat. So to check it out, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Patreon button. Yeah, actually, as Emma said, we've been growing uh, lately. The last couple of weeks have been like, Huge growth for us. Yeah. And that's super excited. So I just want to say you really want to be one of the people who says, I was one of the first 250 people to ever be <laughs> part of the million-person normalizing non-monogamy community. I was one of the first 250 or 300. Right. So you definitely want to do that. Uh, speaking of Patreon, uh, some fellow podcasters have an awesome Patreon community as well. Yes, that's true. And we were on their show last week. So 
That is the Multi-Amory Show. A huge shout out to them. We were on episode 384. We were answering Q&As from their patrons. It was a super fun conversation, and we're grateful that they brought us on to do that. Check out their show, all of their work. They have amazing content. It's a little bit different than ours, but it is amazing, and we're super excited about that. And they have a huge Patreon community as well, and we know some people who are in there who find it super supportive. So check that out as well. Links are in the show notes. Links are in the show notes. <laughs> also coming up on August 30th, that's only in a couple weeks, um, we have our next virtual meet and greet. And these meet and greets are open to anyone that wants to join. You just must be respectful and open-minded. Uh, these meet and greets, we bring everyone into Zoom. We ask do some fun breakout questions and then, or icebreaker questions. That's what I was trying to say. Icebreaker questions. And then we send you into small breakout rooms with a question and you get to chat with those people in the breakout room around that question. And then we bring you back to the main room, shuffle the rooms and do it all over again. So it's a super fun. I mean, it sounds really confusing when I try to explain it, but it's not confusing. It's a super fun time. It allows you to meet and mingle with a lot of different people. And our next virtual one is August 30th. To sign up, go to our website and click on the community events tab. And there's already a handful of people signed up, actually quite a few. Yes. So we're super pumped about that. And thank you to everybody who's already signed up. The other thing we needed to say thank you about, well, also promote our uh-huh. shirts. Uh-huh. So thank you to anybody who bought a shirt. You should all probably have your shirts by now. And you know what? If you want to take a photo of you in your shirt and email it to us, we would love that. It we'll, makes us smile. We'll keep it to ourselves. We don't need to share it unless you want us to share it. We're happy to share it. But we would love to get those. And if you don't have a shirt and you're like, what the hell? I want a shirt. Well, you can still get a shirt. So shirts are available. If you go into your podcast player show notes, uh, there's a link there or on our website in the show notes for this episode or Right on our homepage, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There is a big button there where you can go and buy your shirt. And they are amazing. We love them. They just say, give love with our logo. And that's it. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to spot other normalizing non-monogamiers out in the wild. Mm-hmm. I made that name up. We probably need to refine that. <laughs> probably need to refine that a little bit. Yeah. What? Throwing out to the community, what should we call people who listen to this show? Ah, NNMers? That's too much. That's too bland. Normalizers? That's a little weird. (laughs) Oh, any ideas? Listeners, what are you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. A quick reminder. Our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. While you're there, contact us. Reach out to us. Send us an email. Send us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we respond to everyone. And we have a super fun, big, exciting announcement coming Friday. Yes. We're just giving you a little heads up. So that's coming Friday. Look out on for Friday. Keep your ears peeled. And we'll see you on the other side of this awesome interview with Pam. Let's go. Welcome to the show, Pam. Uh, we're excited to have you here. Thanks for reaching out. One of the few people who've ever sent us a voicemail. So <laughs> this, is, this is the dangers of sending us a voicemail as you wind up on the show. So thank you for being here. I'm very happy to be in your show. Thank you. Yeah. Well, do you mind introducing yourself? We know very little about you, but we're excited to learn more. And I think presumably most of the listeners know nothing about you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I am at the end of my thirties. Um, I grew up in Greece and I live in Germany. I work in IT. I um, see myself as a single polyamorous person. I'm maybe sapiosexual or heteroflexible. I don't know what exactly. And that's pretty much everything which comes to mind right now. Yeah. Well, and how did, 
how did solo polyamory sort of or non-monogamy like work its way into your life for the first time and actually maybe before we do that like could you maybe give a high level of like what your current relationship like uh constellation looks like today yeah let's start there yes why not so i met annabelle uh a few months ago she's married and has a, a very lovely husband and they've been married for 22 years have two gorgeous daughters and there is nothing going on sexually wise in their relationship and they opened up the marriage seven years ago and i met her like four months ago and we hit off amazingly at uh kinky parties and then meeting each other in private and having an amazing connection so that's like one of the relationships i cherish very much in my life and i have a few people like for instance sunny a 30 year old girl i met a few uh, weeks ago just dancing in a club on totally random without any apps any field or um bumble or whatever that else is out there and uh, the beauty with sunny is we connected on a bdsm level without realizing we we're both into it i knew i was into it i didn't know if she was as well but that developed beautifully and i met um nebula a uh, girl uh, which lives far away from me, like an hour's flight away. And we met on field, and the common denominator, common denominator was BDSM relationship and power exchange. And I really flourish when I am given the honor to lead somebody or guide them or um, get them to the next level of their sexuality or their needs being met. And uh, I just met like... Um, Three weeks ago, a girl called Lily uh, were exactly the same dominant, submissive sexual tension built up. And we're seeing each other multiple times. And it's always an amazing blast. Um, that's, these are like the people which are close to me on a emotional and sexual level. And there is Bonnie and Clyde. Um, <laughs> these are pseudonyms. I asked them if I yeah, can yeah. mention them too. <laughs> and um, they are married four years and um are both swingers i met them at the party and they're just amazing people and they're like the role model for me of what a healthy relationship could look like in a setup of non-monogamy and is it okay if i say like a kinky story which happened between the three of us yeah of, of course. course so i was invited to their place we went for dinner we had a good time we connected as people and ended up at the end of the night playing together in bed and uh, Clyde asked me to come on his wife's chest and as I did so he exploded over her as well and then he told me okay we're going for dinner I have a shower and only the men went for a shower and then I just realized when we were in the restaurant that um, Bonnie was playing with her negligee and putting her finger in it and then licking it and it was such an amazing moment for me because I could see this husband being married to this person for such a long time, being on fire for his wife over again. And that just made me think, holy crap, if I could have this, that would be so awesome. And um, fun fact, um, Clyde taught me Olivier's trick, which I'm teaching to all my male friends, which is... Um, if you're together with a lady and things are getting hot and before a man goes down on his partner, if you take a sitheringly hot 
sip of tea or hot water and keep it in your mouth just before the moment you kiss a lady or give her cunnilingus, she will explode. And um, I don't know why, but I really felt I had to put this out there um, because I have had so much positive feedback on that with my sexual partners. And I'm getting sidetracked. That was about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, did it, did it work? Oh, it sounds like it worked. Explosively so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know, what's interesting, I wonder, because that's a temperature, uh, a temperature thing, right? I wonder if it would also work if it was really, like, how it would work if it was really cold. Like if you put an ice cube in your mouth. It works as well. But um, uh-huh. it's another sensation, which is more shocking. But the yeah. heat makes more blood flow into uh, the sensitive areas and it's amazing for men and, and women so yeah uh-huh. olivia's trick is something i can't talk can't stop talking about <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. awesome well thank you yeah thanks for sharing that and i love that we kind of just dove right there yes, like, <laughs> I love how, we, how we just looked at each other like when I said that. no no worries no it's, no, it's amazing, amazing. <laughs> Well, so, like we mark our podcast as explicit. We can talk yeah. about whatever we want. <laughs> yes. Well, so, I mean, thank you for, for giving us an overview and also for kind of throwing in there that you've talked about all, talked to all of your partners about talking about them and gotten consent on that. That's amazing. Yes. Um, and we appreciate that. So can we go back in time, however far we need to go to like, how, how did you get to the point where you have this sort of awesome constellation of like casual but also meaningful partners that sort of circle around and and come in and out of your life so i was married for 10 years got divorced um because i realized that i basically got married at like 25 ish and looking back at it through my psychotherapist i realized that i just exchanged one mother for the other and that I was unhappy because I was projecting all my needs onto one person, which she couldn't met, meet. And talking to her about trust and opening up the marriage and doing things with other people was a total no-go for her, but always something on my mind. So I was diving into the literature, trying to understand why am I wired that way? Why do all the other people I know, you know, go behind their partner's back and have affairs, have one night stands, get drunk on uh, stag parties and do stuff. And a few books got me to the realization such as the sex at dawn and um, the ethical slut to realizing that it's okay to want more. It's ethical if you talk to all the parties involved. So all the people I mentioned before know of each other. Some want to know details, some just want to know you know, what's the basic premise? Where do I stand? And it was a long journey for me. Like now, um, I think it took me at least 15 years after uh, turning 18, because I was a late bloomer. I started having girlfriends like at the age of 18 and nothing before that. And I don't know why, but it took me a long time to realize that I really enjoy the game. I enjoy people in a sexual setting and what i realized in the past few months is when you meet somebody who's a swinger as well or is not is non-monogamous and they know that about you and you about them the discussions and the talks you have dive deeper on a more meaningful level than with any small talk you can have in a club cafe or bar or other setting and that's for me like the biggest reward of 
finding people who are open-minded as me and being able to talk to them about enmeshment, about uh, unhealthy relationship, about codependency, about many things which I'm working on. Yeah. Well, and I love that. And even, and, and this is something we've experienced as well, even, even if it never goes to a level of physical connection or sexual connection, just being able to sit around and have those conversations is something that is, is much more, you know, easily accessible when you're talking to somebody who, who is either non-monogamous or has experienced it, or at least open to the Mm -hmm. idea you can you can go to that level and it's not obviously impossible with people who aren't but we've found that like our friends who are you know really open to this like yeah we can have conversations we're not afraid to like say things and we're not hiding things yes Yes. i totally get that especially with bonnie and clyde it was like a mind-opening thing that they from the get-go talked about their needs and wanting to be in a swinger lifestyle and I had Clyde over and he was just saying one of the most cherished um, experiences he had was with his wife in a glory hall where the moment she was taking another man uh, in her mouth, he just came all over her, which was a, like a base experience for her saying, oh my God, if I can do this and I can make him so aroused with me, why can't we do more? And mm-hmm. so having somebody to talk about such intimate things over a glass of wine on my balcony is just something I never had before. And I don't want to miss anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Back, you know, you said you were a late bloomer. It took you a long time to kind of discover this. Do you, do you remember the start of that process? Like, because you got married Mm. and we're in that relationship and it took you a while to realize, Hey, I'm not happy in this relationship. It's not, it's not serving me anymore. But along that journey, do you do you remember when that started? That self, that piece of self discovery that that wasn't what you wanted. I realized, um, I think, in the seventh year, the horrible seventh year of marriage, <laughs> that I'm not satisfied in the constellation I'm in, and then the proce- the process of separation happened we were over two years in couples therapy trying to make it work trying to find a way and i fell in love with a co-worker which was married and um she was unhappy in her marriage as well and so um although i was in being separated but not um divorced yet i started an affair with her and because i was traveling a lot i couldn't be there all the time for her needs or being there physically and we chatted a lot and you know, she was like, my husband doesn't take care of me on so many levels. I need to have a date. I need to feel like a woman and so on. So I actually arranged for a friend of mine to meet her and have a date and then end up in bed because I felt only compersion and love for both of them and was like, hey, um, rather than her meet somebody at work, which might affect her work and her um her marriage negatively i would rather have somebody i know and trust her and have a good time with her than if i cannot be there so having a affair with a married woman and realizing that i cannot be there constantly made me realize that hey it's okay i don't have to be there i can have somebody else take care of her physical needs and her still being in love with me and me with her 
that was my journey into non-monogamy, which got me started and thinking and reading books about explaining myself to myself. Why am I wired like this? Right. Yeah. Like why, why does it feel like I'm, why am I not satisfied? Why can't, why doesn't one person, you know, not that one person should fulfill all your needs at all. Like that's not, but many people can be happy in monogamous relationships, but they can yes. get needs met from other people, other yes. friends, other family, like that type yes. of thing. Yeah. Um, what were some of, I know before we started talking, you, you listed a bunch of books that you've read and like, do, what, yes. do you remember those early days of like, what were some of the things that you gravitated towards that really helped you? So growing up in Greece and then living in Germany and seeing everybody else struggle with the same problem of saying, Hey, you have to be married. You have to have one co-living partner. You have to, you know, bind resources. You have to uh, raise uh, children together. And I was seeing in my circle, all the people being married in close relationship, being very unhappy. Some of them compensating with sports, some of them with alcohol, some of them with um, going behind their partner's backs, getting their sexual um, needs, needs met. And I was trying to explain to myself why. And maybe it's confirmation bias, but the book um, Sex at Dawn helped me realize that maybe, you know, all the views we have from Christianity and religion, having only two people being in a marriage, is something which worked a long time when you were trying to save resources and survive. But back in the day, if you were a tribe, you didn't know if that child was yours, but you would raise it together with the others. And that's how I feel now that this gives me the mental model to say, hey, it's okay if I'm not the one and only for my partner, because I don't expect her to be my one and only. So that was the first step into non-monogamy, like sex at dawn, then um, the ethical slot. Then I'm looking at my bookcase right now. Um, more than two and Polysecure were very good reads and many more. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. And and thanks for the vulnerability around the, like the, the infidelity and having an affair at, you know, at towards the end of your marriage and like, I think, you know, that's, that's a thing we, we've had on the show quite a few times is people, you know, maybe it's triggered by, um, like a death or a tragedy in the family or something like that. And it sounds like in your case, it was just this sort of growing feeling that like you needed something different and mm. what, and like, and it sounds like it was a very cultural, like in Greece and Germany, it's like, as you kind of told us again, before we started recording that like culturally, it's more accepted to cheat than to open your relationship. And I yes. think that's very true. A lot it's of unfortunately so. Like I have a very good friend of mine whose wife told him honestly that she doesn't want to cheat, but she would like to open the marriage because she fell in love with a coworker and she told him before anything happened and he was devastated. He moved out and, um, his wife then was, like bullied by her own brothers, not being able to see their wives anymore, not to get them on wrong ideas. And many other friends and other family were telling her in secret, why couldn't you just have cheated like the rest of us? You know, it's a thing, it's new relationship energy or something. It's just a phase. It will go on. Why do you have to 
open up your marriage or make a move out and so on? Don't you think about your children and all that? And in the end, my friend turned to me like a few months later and said, I respect that person much more because instead of being dishonest towards me, she took the hardest step of telling me what she needs, although it, it hurt me. But right now I can trust her even more than before, which I believe is just a wonderful thing to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I totally get that. And it's, and it sucks that it's sort of shamed out of us. And it's, it's interesting because if you cheat, that's not a good thing either, obviously, but it's crazy that it's accepted. It's the preferred, it's the preferred strategy to accomplish the idea of, well, getting needs met somewhere else is to, to do it in secret and to hide. It's just, it's unfortunate. So talking about needs, you were asking before about my marriage. I realized because my mother enmeshed with me rather than having a healthy partnership with my father, she would make me her man in her life. And I had to convince her to move out of the house with my father because they were fighting constantly and it was becoming violent. And I became the person she would look up to at an early age, like 14, 15, to, uh, you know, get things done. And she would never clean the house. She had messy tendencies. She was very artistic, very creative, but she would never cook and she wouldn't like, keep a household. And I fell in love with a woman, which I was with for over 10 years, which in retrospect, I realized she was basically a surrogate mother because she was able to keep a house clean, cook a good dinner and show love and affection through the love language of giving gifts, such as making dinner or showing appreciation through um, keeping the house clean and so on. Now, the my book I wanted to drop, The Five Lung, love, love, love Languages, excellent book. Mm-hmm. If I, I read it like a month ago and I was like, fuck, that was the way she was trying to show me love and I just didn't realize it, that that was her love language towards me. And I didn't realize what I should have, could have done to her, what her love language is. is. So, yeah, I lost my train of thought. I just was saying about my ex-wife and how we got our each other's needs met. But then growing up myself, going to um, psychotherapy, realizing that what happened to me was actually um, enmeshment and unhealthy and then realizing for myself that i need to build up my own apartment my own place my own safe space to then be able to give love after i've loved myself for first and that sounded like a whole lot of bullshit that love yourself first right for the bigger part of my life like just in the past five years i realized that if i'm okay with myself i can project that love or that well-being to others and then i can have healthier relationship with others which I didn't have in my marriage there. I was depending on that person to have uh, a nice environment. And I didn't realize I was doing it because everybody does it. In Greece, you see single men living with their parents at the age of 50 or 40 until they get married and then move in to their wife's place, which most likely is an apartment below the parents' apartment in the same complex building, uh, which is unhealthy as fuck from my perspective. But it's what it is, and people are happy with it. And I'm just happy that I realized that I can't take that kind of a life anymore. And I'm happy the way I am right now. 
She's, yeah, well, I mean, that's amazing. Like, if that's the model and you have to, like, <laughs> right. You're like, well, no, not only am I not doing the marriage thing, I'm not going to live below my mom. I'm not going to basically, like, yeah, it's crazy that, like, how many social norms and expectations you had to sort of, like, peel away from. And, and yeah. Well, and still are doing yeah, that. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. You can do it once, but then every time you go visit, it's like, Look what you're look what you're throwing away. Look what you're not doing, right? And so you get to rub your face in it every time you go home. Every time, every time I go home, they're like, "Aren't you? In a, are you not getting married? Are you not in a single? Or are you still single? Are you not getting uh, somebody to take care of you when you go uh, go old and so on?" And I see the misery those people are going through, and the only measurement of success they have for their relationship is like, "Look at grandma and grandpa of my family. They were together sixty years." at 70 something grandpa shot himself but hey they were together for over 50 years so that was a success wasn't it is it right. though <laughs> so uh yeah. yeah we don't have anything other than longevity or years being in a monogamous relationship to quantify it as a success or a failure yeah yeah if your only metric is you were in a you were in a marriage for 50 years i mean don't worry about the fact you were unhappy for 40 of them yeah. like that's not what matters it's the fact that you did it well, I think people get stuck in that mindset that they don't have a choice. Yeah. They just, they're trapped and they don't have a choice and it is what it is. And they accept what it is. That is their life. Mm -hmm. And they accept the decisions they've made and societal pressure. And I say there's, I think there's also this element and this is maybe me being a bit pessimistic, but I think <laughs> there's this element too of like, hold on. I've no, no, I've been suffering for 35, 40, 50 years you get to do the same thing. Like you don't like, why should you get to go and live this life that you want to live being happy when like, I didn't have that opportunity. And I know that's probably not how people like, they probably don't sit around and consciously think these things, but I imagine there is this element of like, hold a minute like that. That wasn't a thing for me. So why are you getting that like yeah. freedom? And it's like, yeah, well, yeah. It, it was a thing for you. I'm sorry. Like that, mm. that wasn't the route you chose. And so, mm. It's hard. It's super hard. Mm -hmm. So, so what was the very first, like you come out of the marriage? Um, what are the first steps you take to like making this sort of a reality for yourself? After my marriage, I had multiple relationships of two to three years, which were all closed, but, uh, there was always a discussion about opening it up and both my partners, one of the other was like, okay, the, the base must be okay. There must be a trust and then we can see how it goes. And the funny thing was in the beginning of both relationships, we were going to parties, going to the Kit Cut club in Berlin, having fun alone in a club in front of other people. But then after the relationship became more serious and I moved in, um, all that fell away. So I did the same mistake over and over again, at least two times after my marriage of enmeshing myself with my partner, asking for my needs and not getting them met. And that was, I believe, mainly due to the fact that I didn't stand up to myself and didn't say, listen, this is what I need to accept me the way I am or not. What I used to do was um, hey, would you like to try this? No? Okay, we can do it your way. And I would um, put my needs on a second level and have the relationship as a relationship. 
on the first pedestal. And which unfortunately then after some time you realize that your needs are not getting met, that you get depressive, that you get angry, that you get frustrated with the relationship itself. And then again, it ended up breaking up some more civil, some more extreme. Um, but nevertheless, I realized that if I don't put my, my own needs first, then I end up being in unhappy relationships with people, which, uh, was a hard pill to swallow. I have to admit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that it, you almost feel like that's just selfish too. Like, yes, definitely. You feel selfish and you feel like you are brought up with the idea that other people have to come first. Yeah, the relationship is the nucleus, which you are, um, striving for you have to make compromises and for that's not for me let's say many people get their needs met that way i don't and i feel the need to have multiple people in my life which cover certain aspects for instance uh, nebula which is a 30 year old beautiful individual girl um bdsm was the comedy nominator we connected over um, on field. And I don't know why most likely it comes from enmeshing with my mother and being the man of the house, taking care of people. I get validation out of having the trust of somebody put upon me to guide them or to lead them. And I have this one story where I met uh, Nebula for the first time after talking for weeks on WhatsApp and so on. I went for a drink and I took her to a swingers club. Um, we didn't end up playing with other people, but we just ended up dancing. And I showed her, listen, this is my world. Take it or leave it. And she stayed. And I had this amazing experience that we were talking about this play space we wanted to go. So I asked her how many spanks she wanted to have. And she said seven out of 10. And I spanked her in front of strangers. And after I gave her aftercare and took her into my arms. I asked her how she felt and she replied, I felt I'm, I feel owned. And that just made me explode with, explode with positive, positive emotions to what that person saying, wow, that's what I want to give. And that's what I want to receive if I'm giving that person something from myself. And the next day was really funny because I was trying to edge her out of her comfort zone. And she had the fear of being in public. So we went for a drink. I put her, uh, we, we got into my car. I put blindfold over her ears and headphones on her, on her ears. And, um, sorry, blindfold over her eyes and headphones over her ears and, uh, drove her to my apartment on Airbnb place where I had already set up YouTube on a TV playing club background noises. So she didn't know where she was. She was like, uh, believing she was in an open space and I was doing things to her and you could see the excitement and the fear and her trembling and her arousal and everything. And after I was like, you're a good girl, you've done, you've done everything I've asked of you. I took off her blindfold. She looked around and the first thing coming out of her mouth was you son of a bitch. <laughs> like she, she <laughs> was really in that space and she enjoyed it, but then she realized that it was actually safer than she would have expected, but she would have gone through with it, which was one of the, let's say soft limits she was playing with contemplating, but never actually got over. 
And experiencing that with somebody feeling that trust and being able to guide them, um, even edge them, edge them over their comfort zone is something I really flourish with. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Like the, and I imagine there was a conversation there with her of like, I want to push this boundary. I want to go exactly. Here. Yes, I would like to. I'd like to try to go there with you. And you're like, well, hey, let's let's do it. And like, she thinks she did it but she didn't and and you don't she doesn't even have to like go outside of her comfort zone to act to actually go outside of her comfort zone and I exactly think that's that's a really cool approach and probably if i were to guess gave her even more trust and confidence in you to be yes. able to explore these things with you knowing that like you're gonna find creative ways to do it that that keep her safe yeah yeah I saw Sunny um, the other day and she was reminiscing the first night we met dancing in a club, just randomly hooking up. And by the end of the night, um, I kissed her goodnight and I put my hand around her neck and squeezed it lightly and I asked her if that's okay with her. And she was telling me that once you did that, showing dominance but uh, reaching out with consent towards me, my knees got weak. I was like, yes, I want this. And the person is not being dominant in a uh, in a bad way, let's say, or in a non-consensual way, but in a consensual approach to, hey, this is what I want to give you. Do you want it? And what I'm getting at is it's abuse if you <laughs> do anything to anybody without asking them if they like it. And yeah. it's so annoying I, I i am getting in touch with other men and they believe it's like macho if they do things to their people who are submissive to them without asking them or without getting their consent and i'm like dude that's just abuse being disguised as, as being a wannabe dominant partner and i can't stress it enough many dominant believe oh i'm gonna lose my face or my my power if i ask her if she likes it and that's that's totally not true the other book i wanted to mention was the art of dominance which explains so well how a dominant person is just a servant of the submissive because she actually holds the power by allowing the dominant partner to do things to her right and um in one of the books i don't know why i always enjoy denying my partner an orgasm in the beginning and i always love that play but I didn't realize why I liked it so much. And in one of the books, they tried to explain the psychology behind it. So when uh, two partners have sex, there's always the elephant in the room. You know, are you going to come to an orgasm? And especially women have this feeling, oh my God, I have to like show him that I'm having a good time as well. But by denying proactively the other person of having that, you remove the pressure out of it which for me was like, oh my God, that's what I'm doing. That's why it feels so good. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's just one thing of my sexuality, which I had to read lots of books to find why am I so getting off on this. And it's, yeah, something magical I've discovered quite recently. Yeah. Yeah. When did, when did the exploration into kink and BDSM, when did that sort of come in? Because I know there's a lot of, uh, there can be a lot of crossover between non-monogamy and kink, but they're not necessarily 
one and, and same. Yeah, they're yeah. not. No. You know, you can meet a lot of kinky people who are like, no, no, we're we're monogamous. You know, it's not it's not necessarily a requirement to be non monogamous if you're kinky. So during the years where I was unhappy with my marriage, I was diving into porn a lot to get my needs mm-hmm. met. And sometimes I would finish and I was like, what the fuck did I just get off to? So back then <laughs> Tumblr was still a thing and this yeah. kind of erotica and BDSM stuff was really up my alley. And um, with that affair I had, we were mainly communicating through each one having a secret uh, Tumblr blog and posting things we would like the other one to do. And then getting more and more into those kings, like being called daddy or being a dominant or being a switch or whatever that may be came to life in my imagination by getting inspired by other people creating their own content. So I tried, uh, you know, getting off to ethical porn, like, um, make love, not porn or, um, other, uh, female porn producers. But for me, it doesn't do it. So, and I'm terribly sorry that Tumblr did what it did and it's not the platform it used to be because that kind of erotica is what really was something I enjoyed. Um, so back to your question, I think being in a affair, communicating through a medium like Tumblr, seeing what other people are doing to each other and really getting the other person's opinion about what she likes and looking yourself what other people are doing got me into the kink world. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, it's a fine line, right? Trying to, you have to, it takes a lot of self-awareness and education and learning mm-hmm. about, about, especially the dominant submissive dynamic. And, and it could be, I mean, either way in gender roles, but I, it's tricky, I think, you know, to, to find that line because it, it, society, like you were talking about a minute ago, society and a lot of males, I and I guess I should say people, but stereotypically males mm. will, will feel like they need to, uh, you know, project something onto their partner yes. and, and, and navigating that is, I mean, it's tricky, right? Like mm. it's tricky to try to push against those stereotypes to try to do it in a healthier way. So the difference between being a dominant who abuses his submissive or being a dominant who gives something of value to his admissive is intent. A healthy individual which is aware of his own needs will blindfold his partner and push her over her own edge uh, with the intent of guiding her somewhere or giving that person something. A person with the intent of feeling, feeling just, you know, dominant for his own sake, um, will do that to get his own needs met and not looking at the needs of her, their partner. So many men try to get their own needs, met, own needs met by just focusing on themselves. And then mostly in dominant settings, it becomes abusive because they don't take into account their counterpart. Yeah. Well, and, and so like, I appreciate that. And yeah, thank you for sharing yeah. sharing everything around the BDSM and that dynamic for you and, and your thoughts on it and, and consent yeah. and yeah because it is it's something that's important to talk about but I you know it's 
we want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're trying to navigate that conversation too and making sure mm-hmm. that the information we're putting out there is, is, uh, consent forward. Mm-hmm. And, um, so thank you for expanding on that. The, for anybody listening, the new topping book and the new bottoming book by the same authors of the ethical slot is an eye opener for consensual power exchange and top, topping and bottoming, um, yeah. things, which really helped me a lot. Yeah. I love that. And I know, I know those are perennial favorites of Dan Savage to throw out there. (laughs) I I feel confident in those recommendations. So awesome. Um, So as you, I'm just kind of curious, like you've, you kind of jumped in, you started dating, you said like some multiple long-term monogamous relationships. When you, when you really kind of dove into this and created these sort of multiple coexisting partnerships, have you come up against any like i mean you said you've, you're kind of fighting against a whole bunch of like enmeshment and stuff from your childhood have you come up against any other like challenges along the way like maybe you were really jealous and you weren't expecting that or maybe you're jealous with one partner and not another like i'm i'm not like trying to ascribe these to you i'm just curious like were there were there things that kind of caught you off guard and that you've had to work through as you've tried to undo 30 years of, of monogamous training. Yes, definitely. So with one of my partners in the past, um, I fell in love with her and I realized after we broke up, that I was unhealthy because I was in meshing with her and she wanted to be single. And from the get go in that relationship, we said, we want to be open. We want to be polyamorous and so on. And I was far away. She had a date. And by the end of the night, she texted me, oh my God, I'm falling in love with that person. And that was it. And she was drunk. She forgot the mobile phone in the guy's car. And there were like 17 hours and until the next day until she found her phone again and wrote me. And during that time, I was just in free fall. I was scared as hell. I was angry. I was feeling so many emotions. I wasn't feeling jealousy in regards to why is she you know, going with that guy, not me, I knew why, and I wanted her to go. It actually aroused my uh, sexual tension towards her. But the feeling of not knowing, is she now leaving me because she's falling in love with another? That was just a world of pain to me. And what I realized is that texting can be very, very painful. (laughs) And (laughs) if you have a phone conversation, like after um, half a um, 17 hours. She found her phone. She called me immediately because I was able to keep myself in check saying, Hey, I'm happy having a good time. Call me when you, uh, when you can. I'm feeling as if I'm losing you. And we cleared the air and everything was fine in the end for, for that evening at least. So um, with Annabelle, we're in a, let's say poly relationship with her. She, <laughs> I don't like to write. She's a very text-based person. She likes to text all day long. I would rather have a phone call or say a speech message or something. And she's like, so are you having a good time? Are you going out? And I've caught myself realizing that I'm not telling her the full extent of the people I'm meeting or what sex dates or whatever other things I have, because I don't want her uh, mind to play loops or, you know, over exaggerate what I'm doing. So I told her, listen, when 
I'm going out with people to play or I'm seeing someone, I'm gone till the day after. I'm here for you. I want to be with you in the setting we have. And um, which is slowly becoming kitchen table poly because I met her husband the other day. We had dinner together. We connected on IT stuff. And he even reached out to me the other day and was like, you want to spend the three of us a weekend once somewhere? I was like, why not? Let's see how it goes. So what I'm getting back to is I have a good relationship with that person, but she sometimes um, gets envious of the amount of dates I have and the amount of fucking around I'm doing or the fun I'm having. But she knows that when she opened up her marriage, she was doing exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand side, she understands it. On the other hand, she was like, do you have to have like five days, uh, five, six dates in one week? Isn't that, you know, am I not enough for you? And getting her to understand that it's not about her needs or her, what she wants, but it's about my needs and my validation, which I'm pulling out of these experiences is what I'm going through right now. I know I'm not going to be able or wanting to keep up this lifestyle forever or go on such extreme measures to have like parties every weekend. So for now, it's what I really desire and where she's sometimes struggling with. But she's mainly struggling with me not telling her upfront via text message what I'm doing. Once we meet up for coffee and I tell her everything I'm doing, she's like, oh my God, I want to try this as well. Or, you know, I want to be there and I want to see it or I want to experience that. And I'm happy you had this experience. But over... Again, the devil is in the chat messages <laughs> over <laughs> text message. So many nuances are getting lost and so many misunderstandings happen from my perspective. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting one because, you know, it's sort of in one way, right? People could say, well, you're sort of managing her feelings, but at the same time, like you're also managing your own. And it's not like you're doing this without telling her. And you're saying, I will do this. I will tell you when we sit down, I'm going to tell you everything. But for me, this is what I need. And right, she has then the autonomy to say, that doesn't work for me. So we're not going to do this relationship anymore. Exactly. And and so, you know, there is, I think there is still the room for negotiation there for the two of you to find what works. And like, you know, I imagine if she was to come to you and say like, hey, I really need you to text me beforehand. And I know there's going to be a bunch of like, my guess is you would probably give it another try, but I don't know that like, if, if you're like, this has never worked, I don't want to keep doing this. Let's try it a different way. Like she gets to opt in or opt out just as well. Right. Exactly. Both of us are able to stay involved or say, Hey, it doesn't work for me. And as long as, so in the previous relationships, I realized I was needy of my partner. I, I needed them to be there for me. Now I realize that I have to be needy of myself and be okay with myself even if the relationship doesn't work out or doesn't pan out i'm gonna be okay there the other book i can highly recommend it's only a three hour or four hour audiobook uh it's called love yourself like your life depends on it that has some beautiful affirmations and some work you can do on yourself when you are grew up and meshed as i did to learn to love yourself and if you would have told me that two years ago i was like get away with that bullshit. You know, that's like esoteric, whatever. But now I have to admit to myself, there is a lot of truth to it for myself. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love how you admit that too. Like you come up, you're like, well, I didn't, I couldn't hear it back then, <laughs> but I've come around and now I can hear it. And it just shows, you know, all of us are in, we're in different stages of our lives and, mm-hmm. and different stages of growth. And sometimes we can hear something and sometimes it's not the right time. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Love it. One positive thing I've realized out of my enmeshment was that I've become a people pleaser. Now I realize that I stop pleasing people when I don't get the same beautiful gestures back. Like I love to open a door for a lady. I love to hold her chair and so on. And I was at a kinky party in Berlin and upstairs were like a playroom. I sat down on a belt on a, on a big couch and in front of me were, was a beautiful couple, which was making out. And I just, what loved watching them so a couple came and sat next to me and there were many multiple single men looking at the happening as well so the couple next to me started kissing and i asked them hey guys i'm on my own do you want me to you know stand up and and stand over there i see you're getting into it is it do is 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 it okay that i'm here and like dude that's easy stay here no worries and sometimes um, both, all three of us enjoying the show for the other couple in, uh, across the hall, um, getting it on on the couch there. The guy turns to me and says, you seem like a really upstanding guy. Can I give you my girlfriend in your arms? Because there are many single men here. I just have to go and find my friends. I was like, sure. So I put my arm around Julia. We start talking and um, she was really happy that there was somebody there because it was dark, it was, it was loud music. It was a couple having sex. Uh, across from us there were single men with the dicks out and enjoying themselves and then another two couples come back with her boyfriend and we all five sit on the on the on the on the couch and it was getting crowded so again i said like okay guys i see the girls are kissing the boys are stroking each other like just their back of their heads and so on and do you want me to you know give you the space i was like no everything's fine and then some other random single men just started you know caressing the backs and the legs of the, of the girls because they were kissing and they felt really uncomfortable. So the girls turned to, uh, to the guys and said, listen, this is too much for us. Let's go to the hotel room. And then the guys turned to, uh, to me and said, would you like to join us? We're going to the hotel room. And I ended up having a beautiful fivesome, like two couples and a single guy for hours on end out of just being kind to people. Like the intent was not, hey, oh, wow, she's a good looking young student and can I get some? But hey, you know, you are here together. You want the space to have fun? Like, no. And this theme of being kind to people is something I cannot stress more than I'm already doing, especially to many men friends, which think they have to be assholes to attract the women or attract the people they want. I think it's exactly the opposite. If you are just kind to people, they will return it in kind. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love where that like went and yeah. like, just being able to be like, do you want me to leave? No, stay. Okay. Do you want me to leave? Nope. Stay. How about no? Can I leave? Nope. Stay. And it's like, <laughs> like, and versus, yeah. When you walk up and try to take, like take force yourself. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. just, and we've watched that happen so many times at, at different events and it's, it's usually subtle, right? It's like getting closer and closer and you watch the woman trying to like, as he moves two inches closer, she moves two inches away and they just don't pick up on the cues. And it's, it's, it's all the consent and it's, it's, it's crazy. 
last yeah. Saturday I was dancing in a, in a kinky club and in Berlin and there was this one girl dressed like a sub and I talked to her I was like oh yeah is, are you a submissive is your dom here and she was like yeah I'm a submissive but not to you so I was like okay cool no worries and I danced on with my girlfriend and this drunk dude was like talking to her pointing upwards and I could tell without hearing it over the loud techno music that you know we want to go upstairs and have some fun and whatnot and she was like be very kind to him but firm but he just wouldn't hear her so i grabbed a guy by the shoulders i you know um told him dude she said no but in a kind way but she still said no dance on and he's like okay okay like totally drunken state so he you know um he danced on and then that girl which before was like you know that dude is just hitting on me grabbed me and just with a smile on her face said may i kiss you and i was like for sure. And we ended up just, you know, kissing for a bit and she thanking me profusely. And I tell, telling her, you know, you can defend yourself. And she's like, of course, I know I can defend myself. I'm a police officer for fuck's sake, but I'm here in my um, submissive outfit. I want to have a good time. And I don't want to have to explain to, to myself, to drunk dudes, why I don't want to mm -hmm. go up with them and fuck him because I don't even know his name. And yeah. that was just a very pleasant memory. Uh, yeah, and I think it points out like exactly like you said, like she knew she she knew what her power was, but like it sucks that like the conditioning around like I just want to have a good time. I know I could kick this guy's ass, but I don't want to be the woman who's like kicking some dude's ass in the middle of a sex club or making mm. it like and so like the the deference to that is us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so frustrating and yeah it is it is and i appreciate you sharing you know the stories that you that you have shared and mm. a question i had was you know you've talked your life has changed a lot over the last handful of years uh how open have you been in your life with that change and what with your relationship structure and and how you've been navigating that so to some close friends, I can be totally open um, towards all my escapades and my relationship statuses and how I navigate everything. But I realize that everything which has to do with family because of the mindset there is treacherous and condescending to an extreme extent. So I don't share my personal stuff at work um, or with my family side because it just gives me grief. Um, my friend circle where I live now is expanding more and more to people who are uh, more open-minded and where I can talk about these things and I feel accepted. But in generally, it's um, in Germany, it's not normal. Let's say it's accepted to a certain extent, but uh, it's not understood. Let's say, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that actually gets to how society approaches non-monogamy and mm. alternative relationship styles and structures in in germany and in europe and i know we touched on this like a while ago almost an hour ago in the towards the beginning of the conversation around like cheating you know is the preferred or more accepted the simpler the more accepted. simpler model to understand because if you yeah. cheat you're gonna stop you're gonna be back in a marriage or divorce <laughs> So yeah. the multiple versions of how a polyamorous relationship can go is so hard to grasp that it scares people. And 
I think it has to do with how secure are you with yourself. So people who are in a relationship tend to, this is just my assumption, tend to be more secure in that setup because they don't trust themselves to survive alone. Not, not only physically, but even emotionally or um, socially, let's say. I think maybe there's even a re reoccurring theme when I was listening to your podcast. People who are in a polyamorous relationship are more aware of themselves and more secure with themselves to say, even if everything breaks away, I'm going to be okay. Where people in monogamous relationships depend to a certain extent on the family, accepting them as being married, as their partner being there, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see that, have you seen that change at all over the years in society? Definitely. Like, Do you see a progression? Yes. Um, you can see it in field apps, you can see it in OkCupid, you can see it in sex party parties, you can see it with, uh, especially in Europe now, you have the ability to marry same-sex partners. Open relationships in the marriage is still a long way to go. But especially younger people I meet um, are way ahead of me. Like, I wish I was 20-something now with people saying, oh yeah, I met this uh, one girl uh, dancing and she was like, yeah, I have three partners. One of them is gay, one of them is my roommate, and one of them is my lover from afar, and that's how we roll. And I was like, oh my God, you're 21. Fuck, I would have no one wanted to know this when I was that age. <laughs> but um, all power to you. So back to your question. Yes, I believe now in comparison to 10 years ago, it's more in the media, it's more in the apps, it's more in the... Me Too movement may, may say not, may, sorry, Me Too movement was the wrong um, um, hashtag, in the love more, be more movement of the last decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and so sort of thinking like towards sort of putting a bow on this, I, you kind of said a few minutes ago when you're talking with Annabelle that she's like, well, why do you, you know, do you have to have this many dates and this many parties? And you kind of said like, this is where I'm at now. This is sort of what I'm needing now. Maybe, you know, in a few years, I'm not going to have that sort of energy or stamina or desire. And I'm just curious, like, do you have sort of this vision of where you kind of see yourself going or like what you're, what you're thinking in terms of like, you know, in a couple of years, I think I'd like to have maybe a nested, like more serious partner, but keep these other satellite partners. Like, and again, I've just made something up. So I'm just curious, like where, where you see yourself taking this over the, throughout the journey um i had the same discussion with lily the other the other day where she grew up with parents which lived one hour apart all the time they they never nested together but they were together like talked every evening on the phone spent one weekend there one weekend there and kept though their own personality their own space and were uh emotionally um emotionally together but physically apart and sexually open to other multiple partners so okay. i see myself being emotionally um, loyal to somebody in the future where i can connect with that person and build so much trust and in the book polysecure it talks about a newborn baby needing at least seven years seven months to build up the trust with their take caretaker and some studies going on that 
at least two years have to pass between two adults for the same level of trust to be built. So mm-hmm. I really am looking forward to finding that person where I can build that level of trust, where I might be living with them, most likely not. I really enjoy living on my own right now, although sometimes I'm still struggling with being alone or being okay with myself. Yeah. But I see myself being in like two or three loving, open relationships, as a single polyamorous person, and then having somebody like really close to me on a emotional level, um, which I would then, if you put a hierarchy on it, would be my, my main partner, um, which I refer to for uh, my phys- my mental well-being or my mental connection. But by saying that out loud, I'm like, holy crap, am I doing the same mistake as before in mashing myself with some other person, but they're not living with me? So am I doing the same mistake as before? I don't know. The answer is unclear to me right now. I still think I need a lot of healing and a lot of work to do until I figure out how my journey will will be. And this is one constant I've noticed in your podcast. It's what is the ideal? And I think there is none. I think it's an ideal for the time frame and the period and the mindset you have. So my mm-hmm. marriage with my ex-wife was what I needed back then. And it gave me the structure to evolve, right? For that period of time, it was okay. Now I'm in this period of time where I'm open, single polyamorous, and I love it. So in the future, maybe I will have some other model or constellation with humans around me, but I don't think it will ever stay the same. So with Annabelle and her husband, it's slowly developing into a kitchen table polyamorous uh, thing where me and the guy have no uh, physical attraction to each other, but we both love to some extent the same woman and want to see her happy. So he's uh, loving her because she gives him, after 22 years of marriage, still the nucleus of a family and raising two kids. Uh, She gives me the attention I seek and uh, the connection I I desire and vice versa. Um, Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're going to ask a follow-up question. Well, kind of. I just know you, you listen to the show a lot, Pan, and I don't want to deprive you of the opportunity <laughs> oh, yeah. to share a blooper because we've gotten caught in that before where we don't ask and people are like, hey, where the fuck's my blooper? And so I well, don't... Sometimes we ask and sometimes we don't. Well, I know, but I feel like we... I think we have to at least present the opportunity. So thank, thank you. Before that, thank you for everything you've shared and so many great conversations around consent and all of this stuff. And so I think if you're up for a blooper, if you've got one, we would love to hear it. I went to a city far away with like three hour train rides to this one um, techno party, which had a sex positive attitude. And I'm dancing dressed in a leather skirt, and a leather um, a shirt, a sleeveless top with a top hat. And out of the blue in the club with 200 people, a beautiful black-haired, uh, black-dressed lady walks up to me and says, I would like for my submissive to give you a blowjob. And I look behind her, and there's a beautiful blonde woman with a chain around her neck and a collar. And I was like, wow, okay, why not? And I'm <laughs> thinking, are we going to go to the play area or something? And I was like, no, right here. And in front of 200 people of dancing around you to techno music, a blonde girl falls on your knees and 
lifts your skirt up and blows you. Suffice it to say, it was very hard to, to get hard <laughs> and <laughs> even maintain an erection just because of the anxiety of it all. And but it was an amazing experience. We then ended up having some drinks and at three or four o'clock, exactly the same thing as I uh, mentioned before, dudes were getting drunk, we're talking to them and like being like, oh, you know, to not get, not understanding a no. So I stepped in again. I said, dude, she said, no, okay, okay. And they fucked off. And at the end of the night, they were like, you are so lovely. We would love to take you home. So they do take me home to their place. And I end up sleeping with the mistress, like the leading dominant woman in, in bed. And the next morning, you know, we wanted to have a threesome. And I, I ended up with her submissive on her bed. Because she, you know, we started kissing and we ended up there. Then her mistress comes in and we start fooling around. And I just smack my head right now for mentioning it. I said, mistress, I'm sorry we played in your bed. And that somehow triggered her so badly and everything was dropped. She was like, get the fuck out. This is my bed. You're absolutely right. This is not happening. So I destroyed a perfectly amazing threesome with two wonderful women, which I had a good connection with by just not keeping my mouth shut <laughs> and speaking of the obvious, like, you know, I don't know why she was somehow became very protective or, uh, unhappy with us playing in her bed. Go figure. So that was one of the blooper I have in mind. Wow. It's crazy because. You were sort of playing along with the role that, that they had like developed. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. You would think, you would think that would be like, I don't want to say rewarded, but rewarded. Like, Hey, thank you know, or understood or understood or worked into the dynamic in some way, but that's, that's wild. So I guess everybody does it their own way. But. Well, and everybody, like she, she may not have realized that was going to ha- sure. be a yeah, 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 trigger yeah. for her. Like yeah. that may have just happened and then it just happened and you don't Crazy. even recognize it. Yes. Yeah. The learning out of it is, is are you okay with this? Are you feeling all right with what we're doing? Not pointing yeah. out the obvious. And yeah. right. I'm smacking my head against the wall right now. Um, mentally speaking. But it's a lesson yeah. you'll never forget. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. I'll, I'll yeah. haunt me for my life. <laughs> Uh, that's amazing well i was worried that all you were doing is bragging about how awesome the threesome and hot women you were hooking up with were but you got to the blooper (laughs) the old explain i made up for it yes yeah yeah no good well uh, (laughs) and uh, talking as before about who do you open up with so i have a colleague at work which i'm very good friends with and we share personal stuff and the past few months have been crazy. And I've been telling him all the stories and the things I'm doing and happening in my life. And he was like, dude, look out. The tram will fucking roll you over. There is so much imbalance of positive karma and positive thing happens in your life. There's like a boulder running your way. <laughs> it cannot be that one dude having all that fun. You know, there has to be some equilibrium. So wear your helmet when you're cycling and be careful. That's what, uh, and be said. careful when you're talking to the mistress. You got to exactly. choose your words wisely. <laughs> uh, I love it. Well, yeah. As, as I know your podcast, the follow up question would be how protective are you? 
Sure, uh, let's do that, and then we'll we'll let you get along, and we yeah we'll get some breakfast in us. You're good. Yeah, go. Yes. So yeah, awesome. um, I get tested regularly um, on the big four STDs which which, which exist. Thankfully, the gay community um, has certain checkpoints where you can go and get the tests for free. And I usually make a screenshot of it and share it with my partners proactively with everybody saying, listen, this mm-hmm. is my screening, these are all the things. And uh, that builds up trust. And I try to always um, have protected sex uh, with the partners where I know they don't have where they have the same anal retentive feeling of fear of sexually transmitted diseases. And after my partner um, shows me their results as well, then we have sex without a condom. And if they then play with somebody else and something happens and we put a condom on again until at four to six weeks pass where 95% of all the STDs can be checked and then we get tested again and then we liquid bonded they say again so um yeah there is some risk to it uh that's for sure but you can mitigate it by a talking honestly about it sharing your tests between each other and usually keeping a rubber on and trying to always you know fun fact uh the girth of a condom is not always the same so even the xl condoms have a, a girth of 52 millimeters and I always wondered, because I'm a grower, why th- those condoms just didn't keep me erect. And there is this one condom size um, company called My Size, where they even have like a mm-hmm. strip of paper you can pull around your erect cock and realize that, okay, I need like a few millimeters more of width to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And dropping a drop of lube inside the condom, mm-hmm. if it fits you correctly, can make a whole lot of difference to enjoy it sex protected sex with your partner and uh yeah that's what i do to protect myself love it well thank you and and actually my one condom is like a close i wouldn't say sponsor but they send us lots of free condoms and Mm -hmm. we actually did a we love the custom fit condoms yeah Yeah. we did a whole Mm -hmm. interview with their like director of marketing a couple Mm -hmm. months ago so Mm -hmm. yeah it's fantastic and i'm glad that I'm glad you went there and shared that with us. So and then found and found what works for you and it's a lot more comfortable. Yeah. 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 Here we were focused on the blooper. (laughs) And he's worried about (laughs) safer sex practices. I guess we need to we need to realign our priorities (laughs) over here. (laughs) I'll I'll switch the order when I edit it. So it doesn't look like it doesn't look like we neglected that. (laughs) So we forgot that question. (laughs) That's all right. Well no, thank you for everything today, Penn. It was it was a Wonderful conversation, and we're glad you reached out. We're glad you came on, and thanks for being vulnerable with us. Yeah. Do you have anything order. else? Do you yeah. have anything else to share before we let you go? Um, thank you for doing the work you do. Um, I'm really happy to be on the show and share anything else. Um, right now, nothing comes to mind. I mm, no, that's all, folks. Uh, okay. Thank you so much for being on the show and. Most likely when I hear the show, I was like, fuck, I should have said this, this, and this. So, yeah. Well, that's what part two is for. (laughs) (laughs) So good. That's cool. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're back. 
thank you, Pan, for coming on the show and everything that you shared. We're excited to get this story out there and we appreciate you reaching out. So thank you. Yep. We appreciate it. Thank you, Pan. Thanks for sending us a voicemail. Reminder, you can go send us a voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> like you write them an intro, not the outro too. Well, Why that, not? So what makes it a reminder? <laughs> The first time was just telling them, this is the reminder. Normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Contact Us button. And send us a voicemail. <laughs> we will send you a voicemail back. How about that? Yes. That's incentive if I ever heard it. Yeah, right? All right. While you're on our website, you can check out our Patreon and sign up for our Patreon community. You can sign up for our virtual meet and greet coming up on August 30th. You can buy a shirt that says, Give Love. Uh you can hear us on the Multi-Amory podcast if you click on podcast, those links. Podcast show notes. How could I forget the podcast show notes? That's like a I, lot of information. I have no idea how to forget <laughs> that. And you can go find links to get tested for STIs using our favorite resource, sechuck.com. Right? <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> You're staring at me and it's weird. So I'm staring can't... at you intently as I say this about stdcheck.com. Well, tell so... us more about stdcheck.com, Emma, for anybody who's never heard of us. We use stdcheck.com and it's a efficient and discreet way to get tested for STIs. Um, you just go to a lab corporate quest, give your blood and urine sample, and you get results super fast. And by using the links on our webpage in our show notes, you can get $10 off and you support the show. So we really appreciate you doing that. And thank you also for being a sexual health advocate. Yes. As Emma said, it is our favorite way to get tested. And thank you to everybody who does use the links. Uh, your support for the show is absolutely huge. And we really, really, really appreciate it. Yep. And a reminder, Friday, stay tuned for a an exciting, I would say awesome, exciting announcement well, it on be Friday. Awesome. Yes. And then next week, guess what? We have an interview, episode 250. Oh. 250. Episode 250. <laughs> Excited about that. So I, we have an interview with Mel and AJ. So yeah, come back on Friday, come back next week, and go check out all the links on our website. That's all you got to do. You can also follow us on Instagram, by the way. We've been putting out some pretty good content, I think. Yes. So I should say you've been mostly doing it, but I, I, ch you, I chime in once in a while. You rocked a good post yesterday. So we're, we're working on it. Yeah. Uh, but we're NNM podcast over there. What do they say? Uh, like and follow, like, like and subscribe, like, like and subscribe. <laughs> like and follow. Yeah. Yeah. Like and follow. You don't subscribe on Instagram. I know. That's a YouTube thing. All right. <laughs> Smash that like button. <laughs> Oh, all right. boy. The, We've gone uh, off the rails. All right. We will see everybody Friday for the big, awesome, huge announcement. And until then, have a great rest of your week. And then we'll see you next week for Mel and AJ. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>